0: more than once, actually.
1: Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting.
0: Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: I never win and tell.
0: Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere, playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Well, why do I do it? I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible horror movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send it my way. So what do you get when you totally ruin the ending to your last film? Why, you get a sequel in the name of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. So, that's the quote for the start of this uh, lovely Freddy film. Uh, as you can see, that 80s cheese in that beginning theme song is heavy with this movie. And it's not just the 80s cheese that you see there, it also comes down to a lot in the soundtrack uh, that i couldn't believe it was the way it was like it's definitely a lot more uh artist based soundtrack than the last film and last couple really most of them were just straight up instrumental you know maybe you had one song like last one you had Dockin, and it was very nice of those guys to come by here last time and play that for us um but this one it just seems like there's a ton of music like there's a ton of artists that randomly show up and the most random one happens in a scene in the movie uh and it's drama-rama uh with anything anything that was especially for the scene that it's used in it's a little weird i'm i'm not gonna lie to you so let's just go ahead and get started with the film now, this is the fourth installment and it falls directly after The Dream Warriors. Well, there's some time that definitely has passed because everybody seems to be out in the open uh, and going around. And the first thing that you're going to notice besides the quote is that this is the first film where Robert England actually has top billing. It actually says Robert England in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4 The Dream Master. And then we w- we go up upon a little girl and she's drawing. Uh, well, you see hands drawn with chalk. And that's where we get to see Kristen once again. But lo and behold, it's not Patricia Arquette. It's some random actress. Because supposedly Patricia Arquette was pregnant during the filming. But a lot of people say it's because of the script of this film that she didn't want to participate. I'm not sure what it is, but I think it was a good choice for her career. Well... This non-Patricia Arquette Kristen walks up to the little girl and asks what's going on. Hello.
1: Do you live here? Nobody lives here. Where's Freddy? <laughs> He's not home.
2: Boom! There's a picture of Freddy in the window and the chalk drawing that she has on the ground. And we're ready. We're starting off in Freddy's house once again. That was really quick. Now, if you remember the ending to part three... They buried his bones and they, uh, I don't want to say desecrated, uh, but they basically put the holy water on there and uh, you know, banished him from this world, supposedly. But Kristen's still having nightmares that Freddy's going to come back someday, and now she's in the house wandering around. And even the little girl at the beginning of it was one of Freddy's souls that looked like the little girl from the tricycle that turned out to be burnt from the beginning of the third film. And it's weird that both of these films kind of start the same with Kristen outside of Freddy's house on Elm Street. So the difference though is, is that that's a little more dark and brooding where this one's a little more light hearted. Like, because Freddy's gone, it's not nothing's active, nothing's creepy or crazy in the house. But the rain does manage to start again and she's forced to go inside. When she tries to leave, she's basically stuck inside the house once again. Oh, and then there's that fucking bike again. Like, and she goes in, and the tricycle falls down the fucking stairs. So, I I don't get it. Like, why are we trying to hash a lot of things from the beginning of the third movie if this is supposed to be something different? Something new? Something exciting? But we're just rehashing things like characters and uh, the beginning of the third film. Well, I'm not so worried about the characters, because it's kind of interesting what at least they do, that they're back. Um, It just sucks what happens to them and i'll get more into that later into it and you should probably already know if you've seen the film so she's walking around the house and it turns into like i said a kind of a house within a house and then there's a nice little freddie fake out uh and this is also where i kind of got a good look at the actress and they did you know a good job casting somebody that kind of looked like patricia arquette from the last film but she's not quite there Well, she uh, looks out and there's like a Freddy fake out where you think it's his claw in the window. But then the window explodes and it throws her way the fuck across the room. Like, I mean, seriously, there's times where people fly in this movie. Uh, That wire work must have been pretty uh, hefty to deal with because they go fucking flying. She freaks out some more because that happens. And she brings Joey and Kincaid into the dream. I, I can't believe that we've got these two characters back. And, of course, they're not very happy about being in Kristen's dream once again.
0: Oh shit, Kristen! Not again! I'm sorry, Kincaid. Sorry? You are one spoof chick. Shit.
1: <gasps> Joey! Thank God. I thought for a minute...
0: What? Dragoness in here?
1: Yeah, cut it out. You're putting one serious dent in my beauty sleep. It's Freddy. He's here. I heard him.
0: Freddy is dead, buried, and consecrated. We won, remember? He's coming back for us. Can kids write Fred Krueger's history?
2: So they proceed to move around the room, and H tells her that the boiler is not active. And because it's not active, that means Freddy's not around. If you remember from all the other times, the boiler's kind of like his place of business. So she goes over to the boiler that's turned down. She goes to feel it. And out of nowhere, King Kincaid's dog, who happens to be named Jason, and we'll we'll talk more about that later, uh, he jumps out at Kristen and bites her on the arm. This causes her, of course, to wake up. When she wakes up, she does have bite marks on her arm like she's had before. So this kind of gives you a little bit of an inkling that maybe she's right, Freddy's coming back, but we don't know yet. So next day starts the regular day, and she goes to see her friend Alice, who also happens to be her boyfriend's sister. And of course, her dad's a little odd about how Alice is getting out of the house.
0: you going out dressed like that?
2: Yeah. She's wearing, like, grunge clothes. Like, it's not even that bad. Like, I'd be okay with my daughter wearing that, you know, flannel jacket and that, like, not short skirt and, you know, with her books and everything like that. Okay, maybe she looks like Eddie Vedder did when he was first starting, you know, Pearl Jam, and maybe that's a problem for some people. But honestly, you're not gonna really worry about your daughter. It's not like she's going out there with them Daisy Duke shorts or some shit. Come on, I'd be more worried about your son because he's trying to avoid all contact with you. Something
1: wrong with the stairs?
0: It's Avoid All Contact Day. What? Whoa. When dad's <laughs> popping aspirin like popcorn, it's
2: void all contact day. I think aspirin is really a code word for something else. Like, he's popping pills, but that's not aspirin. I mean, maybe we, you know, we don't have the narcos like we did back then, uh, but there's something going on with him because he definitely seems like an unruly salesman, like drunkard type of character. And I'm sure that he'll be very relevant for the rest of the film. So, uh,. You know, we follow them off, they go to school, and then at school we run into Deb, uh, one of the other characters who's having problems because she stayed up all night watching Dallas. And 80s references, okay, here we go, we're going to be talking about Dallas. It Was it the dream episode? Maybe this whole movie is just a goddamn dream and Deb's going to wake up and she's going to remember, oh shit, I didn't really didn't do my tri- trigonometry homework. And, uh, you know, everything will be okay, no such thing as Freddy Krueger. Nope, we're not going to have that type of movie. Uh, And then what we find out is that Alice herself has a little bit of crush on some jock And she likes to daydream
1: You know, you are one major league (laughs) hunk
2: Thanks, Alice Earth to
0: Alice Earth to Alice, hey, you spacing again? Rick, please Well, tell you what, he's a friend of mine, I'll introduce you Rick? Just
1: kidding, but I would introduce her
2: Okay, he's just kidding, but he would introduce her, but he's only kidding. He wouldn't really do that, but he would Rick seems like a really nice guy and a good brother, uh and he also seems like the best actor in this movie in you know compared to Robert England, who's probably the second best actor in this movie, or maybe the best actor in this movie and then I would say Kincaid, the guy that plays Kincaid who's back, he actually shows some emotion. Alice is fucking horrible, okay, worst. Freaking choice for a lead ever, and it's like a split lead, I should say. And I'm kind of getting my head of myself here at this point. But really, the the half the movies is Alice's, and half the movies Kristen's. And Kristen is as wooden as a fucking block, and Alice is fucking boring as a pebble. So you have the two best people to be the leads of your movie, and that's kind of where a lot of this starts breaking down. Is when. The lead characters get a lot of screen time and are so stiff that you wish that you could just go in there and apply, you know, some type of magical liquid that would make them all bendy and stuff. So, we also run into one of the other characters in this film that Deb wants to get help with her trig homework with. And that's the nerdy black girl. And she's just a stereotype and she's really only for two scenes. And you find out that she has asthma, and you get one of the best comebacks to a response to that ever in a film. Hey,
0: baby. You're sucking on the wrong nozzle. (laughs)
1: Hey, yo, needle dick. I bet you're the only male in this school suffering from penis and...
2: Aw, snap. I bet you there's not going to be another type of rhetorical response than that one. Come on. There's anything better, of course, than referring to a guy's penis as small when you know, you have nothing else to say to come back on. Of course, he's a dick for telling her that she should be sucking on his dick versus, you know, saving her life with that asthma inhaler. But really, I just wouldn't be, Ooh, snappy gutter. got him. Ooh. You know, I wouldn't necessarily go out on a limb to be like, that's the best comeback ever in the world. So we also, you know, she's back going through the halls. Kristen's going through the halls and they're talking about things and we actually see Joey and Kincaid once again.
1: Hi guys. Hi guys, that's all you have to say after last night? You could better be careful. I'm telling you, he's coming back. Listen, little sister, you got this freako talent to bring folks into your dream, but we don't need it anymore. Time to start living like regular people. Yeah, let it rest. I mean, did it ever occur to you that if you keep going in, you might stir him up
0: again? Look, we'll help you. We all have better things to dream about.
2: Now, the funny thing I should note about is that Joey can really fucking talk in this film. I mean, the last film, he was mute the entire time until the one party went, No! at the end of the film that helped uh, everybody break out of the mirrors and help them kill Freddy. But here, he just seems to just fucking talk willy-nilly. Like, you think he might still be a mute. I mean, that would have been kind of interesting. And maybe if you had built off of them, it actually would have been a better film in general if they were the focus of it for the entire thing. But the fact that where they're kind of both a flash in the pan, it kinda of stinks. And I understand why maybe he talks a little more. Maybe he got over his whole thing with, you know, because he went through experience of Freddy, he's better now and blah 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 blah. But it's still kinda of shitty. Like, let's just try to keep maybe the characters similar. King not really that different. He's still a shit talker, and he's really not in it a whole lot, but Here we go. At least it still reminds me of the character before, where even Joey, who looks like the same actor. And because of the Patricia Arquette thing, I can't guarantee you that it's going to be the same. But I believe it's the same actor doing the role again. So why couldn't he act a little more like the Joey from part three? I don't know. Well, they just want to let it rest and let the whole thing go. Don't worry about Freddy. And of course, we all know that that ain't gonna go anywhere past this point when they all away from the lockers that they're talking in front of nobody notices this giant fucking freddy slash across the lockers i mean it's huge you would think that they could see it since the three of them especially have fought in the dream world and that would be right there we go and we go back to the house of alice and ricky and we find out that ricky is some sort of like karate expert and this is where the drama rama song comes in he's doing his kata to drama rama and you, you it really doesn't quite match up you know but i guess maybe the pace and the tempo of anything anything matches a little bit but it's a weird song to have him doing his practices to and he gets really into it with his nunchucks as well dad comes home and of course, he pounds the rest of his bottle before he gets inside the house. Rick notices that he's doing that, and he kind of hangs his head in shame, and we go back in the house and Alice is there to bring him something to eat. And of course, that doesn't please the dad because he's been working a very long shift. You call this vegetation a meal after a
0: 10 hour work day? What the hell am I, a rabbit? Christ Alice, try to think a little more.
1: think I can think of how sick I am watching you drink your life away and taking it out on me. Alice. Alice. I'm talking to you. Are you awake or what?
2: Of course, it's at this point we kind of notice that she's a heavy daydreamer. She gets ideas in her head and things that she wants to say, but she can't say them out loud, so she slips into a dream. And she's able just to go there, say exactly what she wants, and then comes out of that dream. I believe this is only the second time she does it. I don't remember if she does it another time in the film. Uh, not Well, the daydreaming she does, okay? I'm not going to say that she doesn't. But this type of reaction where she says what she means versus just being a part of the film uh, and a part of the plot device to, you know, kill off kids. And she's also, you notice she's really passive aggressive when it comes to these things. It then cuts over again. To Kincaid, and Kincaid is starting to dream. And we all know at this point that there is absolutely nothing good that could come out of this. He dreams and he's brought what he thinks is into Kristen's dream, but it's actually not. It's somebody else's dream. Whose, I'm not sure where it is, but he's stuck in a car graveyard. And if you remember last time from part three, the graveyard of the cars, or the junkyard, I should say, is where they buried Freddy, and they put his bones to rest. Now, again, like I kind of said last time in the last review, it wasn't holy ground. Just because you sprinkle holy water on top of a place of dirt doesn't make that necessarily holy. So they thought that maybe they put him away, but I have a feeling that Freddy's going to come back, and it's going to be due to that. Really? Is it? Do you guys want a spoiler? It's not... You want to know how he comes back. Now, I would direct you to the Facebook page on this one, because you can actually watch the whole scene if you've never seen this before, and uh, if you or if you want a visual aid to go along with it. So, Kincaid's dog, Jason, he starts digging in a spot, and he's digging and digging, and Kincaid calls to him. Now, the significance of the name of the dog is something that's very real, because at this time... The two biggest slasher films were Friday the 13th series and the Nightmare on Elm Street series. So this is a way of them paying homage and bringing Jason into the film. So Jason is there and he's digging up what looks like a spot. KId calls him, asks him, hey, you know, what are you doing? And Jason snaps at him, lifts his leg, and pisses fucking fire into the ground. Like, what the fuck? I I can't understand like that does it because that opens the ground and then you see freddy's bones start coming back together how did the dog manage to bring everything back bring freddy back it makes no sense it's cool to say that jason brought freddy back i have no issue with that that's kind of neat in terms of you know a, a homage to the whole slasher genre and who your you know direct mission really is at this time it's neat that it's in there But it doesn't make quite any sense. It's said that at one point, director Rennie Harlan and some of the producers, they happened to bump into James Cameron. And Cameron actually asked, well, how are they going to bring back Fetty this time? To which he replied, well, a dog pisses fire on him and he comes back to life. And that's the idea that was ended up being in this film. And although it's more of a metaphorical manner than in a literal sense, though you see it literally up there. Uh, and Robert England was said to explain that the dog urinating fire onto Freddy's remains is really meant to symbolize a hellhound and how truly evil Freddy is. But it still makes no fucking sense. Like a hellhound's gonna go there. So who brought him into the dream? Was it fucking Freddy that brought Kincaid in? Was it the dog? It was the, Has the dog been evil this whole time? And this dog's got the same powers as Kristen. And I was like, yeah, all right. You're not giving me enough table scraps. So I'm going to come over there and I'm going to bring you into the dream. And then, yeah, Freddy's going to get you because you didn't treat me right. Uh huh. Oh, boy. Well, I guess after everything is said, Freddy's back. You shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead. Yeah, he's not dead. And as Kincaid runs around tries to escape him, he thinks he crushes him with the car, which leads him at one point to start yelling to try to get Kristen's attention and telling him. Kristen! Free fire! Free Free Free
0: I'll see you in hell.
2: <laughs> one down, Two to go. Okay, so that sucks. Kincaid is the first to die in this film. After surviving the last one with everything that went on, now you're just gonna kill everybody off. So of course, from that point, he goes after Joey, and Joey is sitting in his room, and he's still the horn dog from the last film, I guess. And he's watching MTV while listening to the radio. He's doing the typical, like, 80s teen thing. Because supposedly there's still teens in this movie. Even though I think they're about the same age they were. But that this is further on. So I don't actually know when the time that this takes place. This could have taken place two weeks after they supposedly beat Freddy. But we don't know. I was assuming it's a couple years. But they're still in high school. And when they are in the last movie, they were like 16. So maybe they're 17 in this one. This is like Freddy the high school years. Is th- I guess that's what's happening and going on. Well, he's still trying to kill the last of the Elm Street people. So in Joey's room, Joey falls asleep. It's not quite sure how he falls asleep, you know, because he's looking around the room. And one moment he's looking at this poster of some like playmate that's up on the wall that's signed to him. And then the next moment she's gone and she's in the waterbed that she's on completely fucking needed, naked and tempting him to come in. And of course, this gives us another great Freddy pun. How's this for a victory? <laughs> and he sucks Joey into the waterbed, kills him, and it's weird because he kind of stabs him and the whole thing becomes red, but when his mom comes back to check on him, he's actually inside the waterbed and has drowned with no blood anywhere. At least, you know... Kincaid just got stabbed by Freddy. And, and again, these are these are not the best deaths in the series. And it's weird because this is probably the highest grossing Nightmare on Elm Street movie that we've had so far. I believe the number was somewhere around $49 million that this film made. And it's odd because it's not the most ingenious when it comes to kills uh maybe there's a little more behind it because there's a couple little dream things that go with it but in terms of how the people die they're kind of lazy i mean right now king cake got stabbed uh directly i mean the whole setup to the thing was was decent uh and it was good effects on freddie coming back to life and then here with joey he gets drowned but i understand that there's the whole like babe nudity aspect to it and leading up to it but it's still kind of lazy just kind of brings him in and then underwater he stabs him i mean he obviously stabs him because there's blood fucking everywhere so after he's stabbed we then go back weirdly to alice looking at her mirror that's completely covered in pictures when her brother rick walks into the room there's some weird thing that kind of goes on between them
0: sort of defeats the purpose don't it what the mirror you can't see yourself in it i
1: don't want to You know, if mom was still alive, dad wouldn't
0: treat us like this. Alice, you gotta learn to stand up for yourself. You know, fight back.
2: So, it's weird just in the sense that we go from Joey dying to this conversation about their dad. And how their dad's kind of just not there or has checked out since mom's gone. And we also notice that she pulls off the picture of her mom and her and her brother from the mirror and doesn't replace it past this point and that mirror kind of comes into uh it's a little bit of foreshadowing right now and you won't quite get it uh until later in the film and i didn't really either to be honest until the second time that it was really used and i understood it a lot more what they were trying to do with it and especially at the end of the film but it's weird that they have this conversation. They have kind of a heartfelt talk about it. And then Rick shows her some karate moves. And it's supposed to be kind of funny because her shoe ends up in the fish tank. And that's really about it for that scene. Uh, the next morning, we come upon Kristen. She's sitting out in like the schoolyard. And she feels really bad because she thinks something's happened. And she thinks that Freddy's going to come around. Alice comes up to her and they start having some conversation about dreams. And I warn you here, this is stiff acting versus stiff acting. It's probably the worst in the series that I can remember.
1: Have you seen Joey and Kincaid? I can't find them anywhere. I'm sure they're around. Well, I'm not so sure. We have matching luggage again. The bags under your eyes. Nightmares... Yeah. God, I hate dreaming. Hmm, I love to dream. I just hate the ones about my dad. How do you handle your nightmares? My mom taught me when I was little. Did you ever hear of the Dream Master? Sounds like a game show host to me. No, it's a rhyme. Just have to dream about someplace fun. Remember, you're in control. How do you know so much about dreams? Well, when it's all you have, you kind of become an expert.
2: Now, what I should point out here in this little conversation is that, one, you can't really tell who the two people are talking. When I'm just listening to it, when you're looking at it, you know exactly who's talking. But when you listen to it here, and I've listened to this back a couple of times, it's hard to kind of pinpoint out which one's talking to whom... Only by clues within the dialogue and about what they're talking about really does it make sense. Now, the second thing is, is that everything, a majority of this film sounds like it's completely just adr yard. Like, they came back, they just fucking saw them doing the acting, like, it's fucking Goldfinger all over again. And they're just speaking German really fast, and somebody's come in and overdubbed the entire thing. Because it doesn't sound natural. And I don't know if this is just a sound style of films from the 80s, because not everything really sounds like this. Like, I didn't kind of get this in part three in the Dream Warriors, but in here, a lot of the characters, especially when it's shot outside, it sounds like it's freaking ADR'd. Uh, So, uh, it's weird, After this, they have this nice conversation. They go to class. And when they enter the class, Kristen automatically freaks the fuck out. I mean, she freaks out hard when she sees that both Kincaid and Joey aren't in their seats for the class. Another thing to point out right here at this moment. How do these kids all have the same classes together? Like, constantly. They're always in the same room. They're always around here. And it's not just Kristen and Kincaid and Joey. I could kind of understand that. Even Rick. I could understand if Rick was there. Even Jockboy. I could maybe understand that. But Alice is there too. So are they twins? Are Rick and Alice twins at this point? I don't know. It never really explains it. But they have the same freaking classes. They're in the same classes. Or did one of them go up a grade? Or did Rick drop a grade? Or was Alice a stupid one and dropped a grade? Because she maybe is the older one. I don't know. It's never explained, and it bothered me throughout the majority of this movie. Well, Kristen, she freaks out so bad at this point that she backs up, and she bangs her head on the wall and knocks the fuck out. She wakes up in the nurse's office, but something seems just a little wrong.
0: You stay put. You need your rest.
1: You don't get it. He's after me. It's okay, honey. (laughs)
2: No! <laughs> no! No! So, it's funny when that scene starts, because the first thought that went into my mind was like, that nurse looks like a dude. And then I realized, that is a dude. Because that's Robert England playing the nurse. And he actually makes a pretty good old nurse lady, like, woman. Like, if you see the actual scene at the beginning i could totally fall for it like he looks kind of like an old frumpy woman and then there's just a couple of things and of course as he slowly turns into freddy you know that it's freddy uh i should also state too here uh because it's on my mind at this point that this is the most freddy has ever been in a nightmare on elm street movie because if you take the first two he's not really in it and he's in it a little bit more in a nightmare on elm street part three but here he's all over the fucking place i mean now he can come into the real world at some points it feels like but honestly it's it's kind of good and it actually helps the movie quite a bit because it's always entertaining when he shows up well she actually wakes up from that dream uh when the nurse does something the real nurse does something to her and you know we cut to alice working in a diner Now, the diner itself is called the Crave Inn. You get it? Do you get it? I'm not going to point it out if you don't get it. So, the the thing is here is that it's like a soda shop. And if this is supposed to be the 80s, especially everything that's going on, it seems like the town is stuck in the fucking 50s. Like, where Elm Street is, wherever this nondescript town is, it's just stuck in the 50s, 50s. With, you know, it's soda shops, it's the way that the movie theaters are, the way that the high school is. Everything is just stuck within that time frame, yet we're somehow in the 80s, and I don't really get it. Alice is finishing her shift, but before she does, Jock Boy comes in and, you know, comes up to the counter to get a table. And she's about to go help, but Deb comes in and steals uh, her table because it's Alice's time to go, supposedly. Rick and Kristen come into the restaurant and they got to get going somewhere because Kristen is still freaking the fuck out.
1: Kristen, what happened? Look, you're going to hear all kinds of stories. And after all we've been through together, how could I let him get to them? We were a team. I'm going to get that son of a bitch. Who?
0: Rick, we got to go.
2: Here's my other complaint with the movie. I've got a lot of complaints with this movie. But this is this part of the thing that's been going on since the beginning of the film. Now, we know from the last film that everybody didn't believe the fact that Freddy was real. They, uh, all these kids were brought together because they were all having the same type of dreams. And they were all part of the Elm Street kids where the parents killed Freddy. And they were the descendants of those pa- uh, uh, parents. Now, here, nobody really knows what's going on and I get it, but she talks about it constantly, and I mean constantly, so she's constantly afraid of this, and any chance that she gets in this film to have any type of disposition about anything that's going on, it's Freddie. but she doesn't always come out and fucking say it right away. Here, she goes through the motions of just like, oh, oh my god, I can't believe this happened, oh, oh, and it's like, okay, well, who is it? Who did it? We gotta go. Really? Really? That's where you're gonna go with this? You're telling me that you're not going to say a single fucking thing about Freddy Krueger, but you've said it to almost everybody so far, and it's kind of just been like, okay, I'll believe you. Oh, boy. So Rick, uh, Alice, Kristen, and then Jockboy, they all decide to leave at the same time. And then they all go over to Freddy's old house, which... I don't understand why, but I think it's to calm Kristen down.
0: Why
1: the haunted house? It's not just a house. It's his home. He's waiting in there for me to dream.
0: Hey, it's okay. We're with you.
1: I told you, you can't help me. This isn't a normal nightmare. I'm history.
2: For a second there, I thought we could plug in something else. This isn't a normal nightmare. It's a new nightmare or a nightmare on elm street you know you could have a lot of really cheesy trailer lines from that and i'm surprised that, that actually wasn't in the trailer so uh, rick and jock boy they go up and rick tells them the story of freddie and what's happened in this town and he kind of believes kristen but he's also kind of like eh, i'm not quite sure but i can kind of understand maybe she's just kind of afraid of it the conversation at the front of the house, Kristen and Alice are having their own conversation by the cars. While talking, Alice remembers an old lullaby that I believe her mom used to tell her.
1: Now I lay me down to sleep, the master of dreams my soul I'll keep. Dream master, I think I remember the rhyme.
2: This rhyme really sounds like a prayer, doesn't it? I mean, are we really going that far to just do that? Well, okay, I'm sure that'll come up in full sometime later in the film. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Uh, Her mom, well, I should say Kristen's mom, pulls up at the same time at the house. How she knew she was going to be there, I don't know. But I believe that this is also a different actress. But yet, she's still a bitch. So she makes Kristen go home with her and for a second there it was weird because i saw the mom's car peel off and i was like damn cold-hearted bitch fucking left it there and then i forgot oh yeah kristen has her own car and she's just gonna drive herself back home so d- dumb dumb me at that point back we're now in kristen's house and her mom and her are talking and it's not going very well what's wrong with me
1: i've lost anxiety i'll make it better Oh, God. Come on, what did you do? Oh, Kristen. Jesus, sleeping pills? Look, Kristen, I'm sorry. I'm just sorry? Sorry that you and your tennis pals torched this guy and now he's after me? In case you haven't been keeping score, it's his fucking banquet, and I'm the last course. Kristen, we went over this in therapy no mother you just murdered me take that to your goddamn therapy
2: okay that is a good goddamn comeback i mean i when i saw it i was really like oh shit uh but yeah she basically dooms her daughter to death because now she's gonna be forced to call you know or fall asleep and her Jim Cotta can't save her now supposedly like did she lose all the powers that she had other than to bring people in dreams and for a fact on there with joey and with kincaid did they lose? well kincaid kind of didn't lose his power because he was able to throw a car on top of freddy so and pushing it all by himself but of course he's pushing it from a height so i'm not saying that's like super strength at that point but joey himself he couldn't do anything You know, I know he had the power to speak or whatever, raise his voice or whatever the fuck it was to break the mirrors in the last one, but do you think that he would have something like that for this one they'd be able to fight back? And the fact that, you know, she can bring people into her dreams and she can also do whatever her Jim Cotta shit is, she doesn't even try to use it in this film she's not even like oh yeah i'm not gonna do this it's all i'm gonna be on my own i'm not gonna bring anybody else into my dreams because i don't want them to face freddy because i'm scared like i would just be a little more maybe a little less scared and a little more confident in my abilities that i could go in there and possibly fight freddy not necessarily one-on-one and i know if i remembered my mantra from the last film we all have to be together in order to defeat Freddy, I would definitely use some of my powers to get the people that I know that are believing that I'm saying this shit, which is another thing. Again, everybody fucking takes every little thing anybody says is fucking fact. So then I'd allow them to come into my dreams. So she starts like falling asleep and trying to find ways to keep her awake. And she decides, Hey, I'm going to phone a friend. And she tries to phone Alice. Of course she falls asleep. And she remembers from what Alice told her that you need to be dreaming in a uh, a happy dream, right? So she dreams herself onto a beach. It's nice and serene. She's looking around. And who the fuck is that over there? But the little fucking creepy girl from the beginning of the movie. Like, you don't know shit's going to go on. She's just like, oh, hey, look, look. Creepy girl's building a sandcastle over there. Uh, that's absolutely not going to mean anything. And I'm just going to continue laying here in the sun. Because I'm okay. Because I'm in the happy place. Uh, then you look out into the ocean. And it's like Freddy Jaws. Like, <laughs> it's really ridiculous. It's really kind of... It's funny because it's so bad. The fact that the his claw is sticking out of the water like a shark fin. And it's literally just going through the water and then it hits the ground she finally realizes oh crap i'm in trouble and it's when freddy pops out of the beach and he busts through that sandcastle that that little creepy girl was making um she tries to run away and freddy ends up pushing her down a sinkhole and pushes her into his world and that's where they have a little bit of a back and forth elm street's last
0: breath farewell
1: We've beat you before!
0: And now you're all alone! (laughs) Christian, why don't you, uh... Call on one of your little friends. Maybe they could help. Never! I'm the last! Why don't you reach out and cut someone? No!
2: That's right. (laughs) Hurt him for those bad fucking puns. Reach out and cut someone? Come on, guys. Lazy fucking writing. I mean, in general, its I can't believe that this one grows so much because it's so bad. I mean, the dialogue itself and the acting is so bad. Even Freddy's puns aren't quite what they used to be. So she gets like, no, I'm not going to do anything. But then she brings in Alice somehow into her dream. And when she notices that, she tries to get her to wake up before Freddy notices anything. Alice, wake up and
1: get out! Uh Alice, I'm so sorry. It was a mistake. I pulled you in.
0: Alice, come to daddy.
1: Leave her alone, you son of a
0: bitch!
2: Now no one sleeps. No! Okay, so... (laughs) She finally decided to nut up and use the Jim cotta. And when she does, Freddy just throws her in the fucking furnace. It's hilarious. She doesn't do anything. And then you get one of the most what-the-fuck moments in this film. Because she's burning alive. Freddy's showing off of his, like, child-soul chest. And then uh, Kristen decides to throw her powers at Alice. Like, she's so worried about everything. But... Here, I'm going to give you these powers so that you're going to have to face Freddy as it is. It makes no sense. I mean, if you just wanted it to go away and you didn't want her to deal with any of this, why would you give her your fucking power? And then she doesn't even really give her the power. What happens she throws it. It hits Freddy. Freddy pauses for a second and then throws it into Alice. So what does that mean? Did it actually go through? Or is there something more sinister going on? I'm afraid that we'll have to find out later in the film. So they find out uh, that they go to find out what's going on with Kristen. But at the same time, her room is fucking on fire. Kristen's room is on fire at her mom's house. And her mom doesn't notice shit because it's not until Rick and Alice arrive that the mom is even in the fucking doorway. Like, what kind of bullshit is this? Your house is on fucking fire. You, oh, because other kids are, what? It's on fire. No, my daughter, no. I can't believe that. You don't give a shit about your daughter. In fact, in the last film, all you care about was fucking random people that you brought home with you. Because you're cool mom. You know? It, it's so dumb. Like, even i if i didn't give a shit about anybody that lived in my house i didn't give a shit about the dogs I didn't give a shit about the wife i didn't give a shit about friends that were staying over nothing i just want to get out i would know that there's a fucking fire in my house you can smell it you can hear it you wouldn't just be sitting outside the fucking room wouldn't you have called somebody like called the police called the fire department no rick and his friends just happened to fucking show up and that's when you finally decide oh my god I can't believe it's on fire. I can't believe I lost my daughter. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. This infuriates me when people, even in real life, people would be different than how they act in, in a horror movie sometimes. And this is just one of those cases. So we go back to Alice's room, and we also notice that Freddy has left... A nice little postcard of him and Kristen saying, see you in hell. It's very cute. uh, It's very lovely. And it's pretty fucking funny if you ask me. Um, Or I might said, see you soon. It was one of the two. Rick and uh, Alice then start having a conversation of what was going on. Because Alice is busy watching some old tapes of everybody together. And that really upsets Rick
0: until all this freddy shit why didn't i just stay with him
1: it wouldn't have made any difference
0: sure it would have
1: no i saw it happen in my dream and there was this horrible man oh who freddy freddy i don't want to hear about freddy okay i heard it all from chris
0: and i don't want to hear anymore so just stop it
1: i could smell the smoke i could feel the heat from the fire it wasn't a dream it
0: was. She wasn't crazy and neither are you. So just cut it out.
2: Please. As much as Reeved that Kristen was kind of telling the truth, it's weird for him to go on here where he's like, "I'm not quite sure. I, I don't like that she used to talk about that and it really bothered me and and I couldn't help her." It's more of a feeling of being lost and loneliness that Rick's actor actually portrays pretty well. I maybe I'll take back and say that, you know, there were some better actors in this film, but this is one of the better acted scenes by Rick in this this thing. You really kinda get a feeling that he cared a lot about her and that he couldn't do anything, and now she's gone and that's it. You know, I I really kinda respect this scene being in there. It's weird that it's placed in there, it's weird. I wouldn't say it's not necessarily weird. Maybe that's the wrong word for it. But the fact of the matter is that you get a lot of emotion out of it. And it's weird to kind of get these feelings in a cheesy horror flick. Especially for what it is. Especially what else goes on. And especially when we go to the next scene where the nerdy girl who has now finally come back and Alice have a little conversation in the bathroom.
1: Who, girl? I am so dead on my feet. We have matching luggage. What do you mean? You didn't sleep last night? It's that obvious, huh? Then you saw it too. Saw who? I mean, I was up on night coming for that physics test. Oh, and I was putting this little baby together. Well, you know how Deb's afraid of bugs. Well, I made it for her. Ultra high sound waves. Make them run, screaming their antennas off.
2: <laughs> now, I don't know if I played any clips for you previously that had that line in it, but the first thing that she says to her Is that, oh, we both were traveling last night. Because they both have baggage under their eyes. And that's something that Kristen said. And it's something that you kind of got to catch on to really fast. If you don't remember it, it means nothing to you. But it happens again later in the film where she does this. And that's kind of a representation that Kristen is now a part of her. And it doesn't really ruin anything for me saying it right now. But it does lead up to some things that happen later in the film. So they go into class and they're basically getting started to take their test. Uh, we focus on Nerd Girl here, and her paper starts going crazy. And the writing and everything, the formulas are moving around all over the place on her piece of paper. All of a sudden, something pops up on her thing and it says, Learning with Freddy. Or, Learning is fun with Freddy, I should say. And she's freaking out. Something comes out of the desk. And while that comes out of the desk, it's weird. It's like a hand, but it's like a robot at the same time. Uh, Alice is actually there with her, experiencing the whole dream at the same time. So she is going crazy. Her hand is being sucked into the desk. She's The effects are kind of shitty, to be honest, with them being so good in the last one. Um, then, middle of nowhere, Freddy comes out and says something to the nerdy girl that is really cheesy, but made me chuckle. Wanna suck the face? No. Yeah, so what happens at this point is that they do lip lock after she says no. You know, no means no, Freddy, come on. And Freddy completely sucks all the air out of her in the cheesiest fucking effect I have ever seen. I mean, it is literally like he's just sucking a bag and she crinkles up and it's like a blow-up doll it's so bad uh this of course kills uh nerdy girl and it sucks that she really had nothing to do with it and really only had two parts of the movie one to be made fun of by some other jocks and to help out deb and then to die that sucks she's not even part of the crew she hasn't been doing anything with anybody, you're just killing her off for no fucking reason. That's stupid. Uh, of course, when everything comes said and done, Alice begins to blame herself.
0: Asthma Back, attack? Guys, <sighs> I
2: got it.
0: What 17 year old has
1: fatal asthma? <sighs> God, she was going to be a doctor. It was Freddie. Enough with that crap! <sighs> I saw it. It was my dream. I brought Sheila in
2: Yes she believes that she brought her Into the dream and that's why she was Able to actually see Her death and everything's going on Of course she runs Away uh, and The jock he kind of questions Why, why she, exactly She's a little upset hey Rick, I, I really think Kristen's story's Getting to her
0: Dan I really don't know if it's a story Look at us we're dropping off
2: like flies here yep dropping off like flies and now you were you didn't want to believe in it but all of a sudden now you're okay with this you know you as upset you were that Kristen was so obsessed with freddie now you're worried about your sister it's more compassion i get it but at the same time it's it's really stupid and kind of shitty to be honest with you that you went from oh i don't believe you to Yeah, maybe there is something to do with this thing, because everybody is just dropping flies like crazy. And again, everybody is so quick to believe, because nobody questions what's going on here. We're back in Alice's room, and she's taking more pictures off of her wall, and you get to see more of herself in the mirror. She's taken off the pictures of Kristen, and now Nerdy Girl, uh, and it's weird that we suddenly get a little more look into her soul and into her eyes and what's going on like she doesn't really want to look the reflection of herself but now she's kind of forcing her to because her friends are passing on at this point we come to another scene at the crave Inn, and alice is now working double shifts randomly jock guy shows up to get like a pack of gum or something but i have a really feeling that's just a check up on her and see what she's doing and he strikes up a conversation with alice hey where you been i haven't seen you around lately
1: i've been working double shifts
2: guess you need the extra money huh
1: look you know why you just don't want to believe me don't you understand i can't sleep someone might die
2: it's kind of true you know she's probably is gonna kill somebody if she does uh go to sleep but who is she gonna bring into her dreams does she even know how to use that power does she know that it even got passed on to her I mean, Kristen kind of said what's going on, but it's a little odd again to see what's moving on at this point and what she believes and what she actually knows. We go to the gym, well, the boys' locker room the next morning, and uh, some guy is talking shit about Rick and his family, uh, to which Jock slams him against the, uh, the lockers and says, hey, leave him the fuck alone. Then he starts chatting with Rick and kind of figuring out if he's okay and what's going on. You
0: look wasted, man. I've been up with Alice. Hey, how's she doing? I uh saw her last night at the diner. She's blaming herself for Sheila. I know how she feels, I mean, I think about Kristen all the time. You know, maybe I could have stopped it if I'd listened. You mean uh, Freddie? What else? If we take a look at our town's history, it's not
1: exactly a safe place to be a teenager.
2: Now, what happens next kind of pisses me off in this film. Because I really don't think that it needed to happen. I mean, I knew that it was probably going to happen anyway. But I really didn't feel that it needed to happen now. It maybe should have happened later in the film. So, Rick goes to the shitter. And it then turns into, well, you know. It goes Silent Hill and everything. And he's brought into Freddy's world. First, a bunch of cheerleaders show up. Then the shitter turns into an elevator, which takes him down to the boiler room, or to the 13th floor, I should say. And he's let off, and they start to have, like, it looks like a dojo now that's in there. Uh, At some point, too, I should say, when the cheerleaders come in, Kristen's there to watch, but then she gets kind of scooted out of the whole view when the, the whole room turns into an elevator. It's odd. So... It's possible that she fell asleep at this point or she's daydreaming and that's why she's bringing in Rick into this dream because that's the person that she wants to connect with. So we're now in this like dojo style studio and it's this is really shitty. Uh, I, I, this is the probably the worst thing in the entire film. I mean there's probably worse things but to me this is the one that I was just like oh I think I'm done with this movie to be honest with you. Because they do kill Joey, or t- they do kill Rick off. They've already killed Joey, okay? I know this. Uh, and I understand that it maybe needs to be done. That Rick needs to die, okay? Because they are it's more fodder, it, it's symbolic, and all this stuff. But it's the way that he dies. It's stupid. It's absolutely pointless. He has some, like, karate fighting thing with Freddy, but Freddy's not on the fucking screen. He's fighting invisible fucking Freddy. And he's getting his ass handed to him. Then all of a sudden he starts coming back. And then what happens? He gets stabbed with the claws. That's it. He's fucking dead. He's like the only one that... One, acts well in this movie two, that I've got some type of emotional connection to, because the way that he feels for his sister, he feels for Kristen when she's having the problems, that there's an emotional connection to, and you just fucking kill him, like this it's not even fucking imaginative oh, he does kung fu or karate so we're gonna have him fight him an invisible opponent, and that's gonna be great like, that's really shitty, it's just horrible, I, I have no idea why they would do something like this, and it it kind of bothers me and it kind of took me out of the film to be honest at this point like in a horror movie you know there are characters that should die and there's characters that shouldn't die and i felt like he's one of those characters that maybe should have lasted because there was so much emotionally invested with him and the character that does there's really nothing there's two more characters that are left in this film one of them's going to die and both are barely in this movie and have no emotional connection to you whatsoever Now, what happens next is something that's a little weird. And I get the symbolism of this one, too. They're at the funeral for Ricky. And she begins to daydream and has kind of a weird, surreal dream with her brother. Hello, baby!
0: I love this. They think I'm dead, don't they? This is great. Hey, what's with the tears? I wouldn't leave you. Come on, don't cry. I'm here. It was a joke, a big joke to fool Freddy. Come on, smile for me.
1: No more daydreams. Well, gotta go.
2: And it just kind of ends like that. And we never really hear from the brother ever again whether in dream form or anything else and she's just able to kind of conjure him up at will and it's kind of sad at the end of that that she says no more daydreaming and, and understand it's because you know we if you haven't figured it out yet she kind of is freddie like Freddy is inside of her and she has alice's or Kristen's powers she's got her own powers too but we'll find out about them later but really she since she got them And Freddy kind of transferred himself along with it. So when she dreams, she brings in other people, and that allows Freddy to kill and to get more. And so he doesn't have to be... He's using her as a vessel, and he doesn't have to kill her, but she has to witness everything going on, and that kind of sucks. And it's the reason why she doesn't want to dream anymore. It's Honestly, it's sad. Uh, You know, and this is... I'm still upset with the movie, but... It's weird that it can kind of pull me out of it and then pull me back into it in the next scene. So we also come upon, uh, you know, Deb and Jock and Alice. They're all walking around. And they're talking about, you know, Ricky's death and how it's affecting them. And Deb is finally believing in the whole Freddy thing.
1: We all have to survive. I mean, look, I don't spend hours working out to let some, some night stalker beat me. You don't really get it. He's not a night stalker. And it'll take more than bench presses to beat him.
2: The delivery in those lines are so fantastic, aren't they? It'll take more than bench presses to stop him. I mean, you would think that they'd have a little more energy and enthusiasm when talking about this type of thing. Well, her dad picks her up, and again, she says another line that... Sheila, the nerd girl, has always said before, and that strikes something within Deb.
0: Mind over matter?
1: Sheila used to say that. God, every day she changes.
2: No, it's after every death. And now they're putting two and two together that she's basically like absorbing powers as it goes on. Well, she's absorbing people just like Freddy does. Freddy absorbs the souls of everybody when he kills them, and that powers him and makes him even more powerful. Now, she's also absorbing the souls, too, and it's changing the way that she is, but she's not just absorbing their power. She's absorbing their personalities and what they can do. She goes back home. She does the whole nunchuck thing, and Alice freaks out the fact that she's able to do the same things that her brother was able to do. She says that she's going to be meeting up with Jock Guy, and when she tries to leave the house, her dad blocks her and doesn't want her to leave. Eventually she agrees, but then she escapes the place the same way that uh, her brother does in the beginning of the film when she's trying, when he's trying to avoid her dad. She goes to the Crave Inn and notices that nobody's there waiting for her, so she decides, hey, I'm going to go see a movie. It's at this point that she sits down and all of a sudden... Everything goes crazy, there's crazy wind, product placement is freaking blown all over the place, the popcorn goes everywhere, and she gets sucked into the film. And it's kind of neat, because when you look at it, she can see herself through the movie screen and see herself sleeping out there. And when she walks around, it's the same town that they live in, except for everything's kind of destroyed and run down. She goes into the diner in the Crave Inn, and she's approached by the waitress, who is her in the future. You know, there was a line in the beginning saying, You don't want to be a waitress all your life, and here she is, and she says, I can't wait all day and wait forever for you to get this. I don't want to be here all day, is actually kind of what she says. Then all of a sudden, we meet Freddy in the dream.
0: <laughs> if food don't kill you, the service will. <clears throat> mm, <laughs> the usual. No! No, oh, no! My favorite. No! 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 me no! <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Let him do it! No! you little meatball? I love soul food. No!
2: your shift is over so there are a couple things that happen in that scene uh the first is we get the revelation that really he is inside of her and he's kind of controlling when she falls asleep or or using her dreams i should say as his portal to everybody else two he eats ricky souls rick's soul in that scene he, there's a giant pizza. He reaches down. Rick's soul is the meatball. He eats the meatball, and he then consumes Rick's soul. And the last part is that the doors open, and now he sees Deb, and she's working out. So he goes after Deb. This causes Alice to wake up and go find the jock, so that they can go find Deb. He actually is sitting outside of the Crave Inn, and uh she gets in the car. She says, "There's no time." And I'm the one that's driving, and then they drive off. It then cuts over to scenes of Deb working out, and all of a sudden you see that Freddy is on top of her. Now, there's a little goof in the scene that was kind of silly, that her hand positions change between the first time you see him holding the the bar and the second time that you see it. Uh, And if you can catch it, it's kind of neat. I always lose little Easter eggs like that. Um, But he starts to help her with her bench press, And this is where you get one of the better effects in the film. Uh, And everything hasn't been the best. There is one that is completely awesome. But that's coming up. Uh, So he starts pushing down her hands. And eventually breaks her arms to the point that her arms snap back. And her bones, you know, her hands are kind of hanging on. And what happens next is really weird. But before that, I forgot... That there's a fun interaction between the two of them.
0: (laughs) I don't believe in you. I believe in you.
2: (laughs) That one actually made me laugh quite a bit. I don't know why, but that one's pretty funny. So, she... It it cuts back again to Alice meeting up with the jock at the Crave Inn again. So, at this point, I'm not sure what exactly is going on. If they're still dreaming. uh, Or... If uh, maybe she, it's like a Inception type of Nightmare on Elm Street thing where she's had a dream, a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream within a dream and she's slowly waking up through all of them. But they all happen to be the same fucking dream. Come on, come on we, we have, have to hurry. Hurry. I'm, I'm driving. driving. Oh
1: my God. We're both asleep. He's got us going in circles. We gotta go!
2: Meanwhile, back with Deb over here, uh, her arms are all flailing and they actually come off and because she's afraid of bugs, she starts turning into a cockroach. And she escapes a little thing. And uh again, you do get one of the better effects in the movie, because she accidentally slams down on the like uh the glue. And when she does that, her face gets stuck in it, and she pulls it and it rips her face off of her face, uh and the skin off of her body, and she's become a cockroach. To which it pans outside Uh, with freddie and she's actually inside a roach motel and then uh she squeezes it and he you know he gets her back where jock and alice are there's a sudden shock to alice's system and she realized what's happened what the hell was that
0: debbie she's a god i've collected her like the others
2: so she's come to the realization that she is the same as him and now she's also gained the power of Deb. I should also say that I failed to mention that Deb gave Alice a charm. Really, it's a metal bracelet. Not like I'm not saying a metal bracelet is like a hoop bracelet. It's like a punk rock studded metal bracelet. You know what I'm talking about if you saw it. Metal, you know, that type of metal. Um so It's now time for them to fight Freddy, right? And before they can fight him, though, they get into a car accident. They're still in the dream. They think they're going to run into Freddy, but really they run into a tree or a pole. I can't quite remember which one they did. Um, When they run into that, that sends poor jock guy into the hospital. And, of course, he's going to be put under, and Alice is all worried that Freddy's going to get him if he's actually put under. So Alice goes back and she's going to be using her powers to invade the dream. So the moment that Jock guy falls asleep, she's going to come in and she's going to rescue him or fight Freddy, one of the two. And of course, the way that she does that is she clears her com- mirror completely and she's able to see inside, see herself for what she is. And she's able to actually enter the dream when he does fall asleep while he's going into surgery uh this then uh has them in freddy's land uh there's a weak freddy pun that i was gonna play but it's just not worth it there's one that's better that's coming up uh they're going after freddy freddy's basically kind of put him into a it almost feels like an amusement park to be honest but it's his world once again uh he starts to get uh the jock guy but then he disappears because they're actually able to bring him back uh, and the surgery that they had done with him was successful. So, of course, that leaves Alice all alone in Freddy and he gives her a nice little welcome. Welcome to Wonderland, Alice. See? That's a better pun than the other one. And I've been waiting for that one the entire fucking film, if you believe me. So, they start having a fight. Uh, she has learned all the skills now from everybody that she's worked with. She uses the little uh, box thing that the nerd girl created. She's able to use the kung fu and gymnastic skills from Kristen and Rick. Uh, And then I have no idea what she got from Deb. I think it's just the outfit. Because now she went from, like, you know, calm little girl to full punk rock chick really, really quick. Of course they're fighting, and Freddy gets the upper hand. And he starts spouting his shit to her. You think you've got what it takes? (laughs) I've been guarding my gate for a long time, bitch. She begins to get the upper hand on Freddy and they tussle some more. But, of course, Freddy is able to fight back because he is. I am eternal. Of course, why I don't understand why, though, he has to say it so goddamn slow. You know, it shouldn't be eternal, either. He's fucking immortal. How many times is he gonna fucking come back? Well, I believe he's got at least one or two more films in him. Uh, maybe three. So, I assume that the next one, he's still gonna come back from whatever happens in this film. She thinks all hope is lost. And she's getting ready to kind of give him the towel because Freddy, again, has thrown her over into another section of the room... But then the little kids all of a sudden appear and start singing a creepy lullaby that again sounds really familiar.
1: Now I lay me down to sleep, the master of things my soul i keep. In the reflection of my mind's eye, evil.
2: So, she takes a piece of the glass, and Freddy is looking at her, because supposedly, the way that she's going to defeat him is make evil see himself. (sighs) Oh, my God. That is, that's stupid. That's so bad. Like, okay, he's going to look in the mirror, he's going to see him. So, you mean all I need to do is have, like, a little pocket flip mirror? Hey, Freddy, look at this. What? Oh, I'm dying, I'm dying. And that's what happens. She basically has a piece of glass. And he sees a reflection. And then the, it causes the souls of the kids to like start rebelling against him. Now this is honestly the coolest fucking thing in this movie. And it makes it worth it to get to the end of it. Because everything else has been pretty boring and pretty cookie cutter so far. To be honest with you. With a couple of stand up performances and scenes. But this... This is where all their budget on fucking makeup and the deaths and everything. Because you see all the hands start to like come out of Freddy and he starts like getting torn apart by all the souls and it's fucking cool and it's all practical. This is seriously, I wanted to do the clip of this but it's the end of the movie and it's going to be a spoiler. So I chose the other one, which was still a good scene. The whole uh, effects that they used, the claymation of him filling his body and everything like that. That's not a bad scene. But this scene is fucking awesome. I can't explain like how like cool it looks. How great the effects are for the time. If it was done nowadays, it'd be done completely in CG, which is fine. I don't have anything against it. But just the fact that they were able to do what they did for this part. And it really shows. This is where they spent a lot of their budget. Besides these creepy sets, the sets are kind of cool for the Dream World or for Freddy's Dream World, I should say. So, Freddy's dead. She makes some quip uh, that's it's not an Arnold comeback or anything like that. Nothing worth really listening to. Uh, but she gets back into the real world, and then she's walking with Jock Guy. So I guess they're together now. They talk about you know, the future and that now she has something worth to stay awake for because she's not going to daydream anymore. And of course that's him. And then he goes and he tells her, oh, you're going to make a wish. And he flips a coin into the fountain. And before the coin hits the water, there's an image of Freddie and he's waving at her. And to which she freaks out. The jock asks her, hey, what's the wish? She says the final line of the movie and we get the end theme song.
1: If I tell you, it won't come true.
0: You know.
2: So, in general, this film is really fucking boring for the majority of it. And it's because we have such stiff performances from the leads who are in this film for most of the time. Now, I was looking at some trivia for this. And the screenplay writer that wrote it was Brian, uh, I'm going to totally butcher your last name, Helgeland. Uh, and he was hired to write the film based upon Robert England's recommendation and he actually penned the screenplay for England's directorial debut 976 Evil from 1998 that had a film had a release date set but it had no script or director and he was hired on the condition that he could deliver the script within 7 days for this movie he was advised by New Line that if the script came in a day late they didn't want it and He flew back to his home in Massachusetts and for Christmas, wrote the script sitting at his father's kitchen table. He FedExed the finished screenplay back to L.A. and made his deadline. So based on this script, that's why Rennie Harlan, the director of this film, was signed on. And this film actually marks uh, his first screen credit. Though 976 Evil was his first produced screenplay, it was released after this fourth film for the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, franchise. Seven Days It really feels like this was written in no time at all. And the fact that he actually won an Oscar for another film, like totally is like off the walls insane that this is his first writing credit. And the fact that he had the Oscar for LA confidential. And the funnier thing is in the same year that he won the Oscar for L.A. Confidential. He also won the Razzie for The Postman. Uh, this guy is just all over the place with his films and his credits. And it's it really kind of shows. And I understand that this is the very first, technically second film uh, that he ever wrote. And it really kind of shows that it was wrote written in such haste. It's just... But it's not all his fault. I'm I'm saying there are some things that are kind of interesting and kind of neat. Okay, the birth of Freddy or the resurrection of Freddy is stupid. Uh, It's silly. I don't get it. I don't care if it's supposed to be a hellhound. But why would a hellhound bring him back if supposedly that was his ultimate demise in the last film? He's always going to be defeated. He's always going to come back. I totally get that. He is evil incarnate. Blah, 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 blah. But really bringing him back this way in this film is kind of silly you know, even in the last one, he was defeated, but he didn't have to be brought back from the dead. You know, I guess maybe they were just to wait for Wes Craven to try to get rid of him altogether. And now we're coming back, you know, and the franchise makes money and you get the franchise that made the most or the film that made the most money for the franchise in the fourth production. And maybe because the third one was so good and people didn't expect to be so good that they came to this one. And then this one kind of, turned out to be a turd because the coolest things that you want to see is how inventive are they going to kill people and i'm not saying that the first one was very inventive but for its time it was interesting because it was all around the dreams of the people and especially you know with the chick flying up in the air and being slashed around the room that was pretty cool for the time and even johnny depp going into the waterbed which you get in this one with fucking joey joey just gets drowned this time You know, well, it wasn't really a waterbed with Johnny Depp. He was just dragging to, and there was a shit ton of blood. Over-exaggerated amount of blood. You know, the the second one, I don't remember the kills as well. um, But it was kind of groundbreaking for this time because it was a male scream queen, you know, for the initial one. And with the last one, you actually had some pretty inventive deaths. But I think part of the nail in the coffin that's going with this one is that's when you started to have Freddy be like a pun guy. Like it's funny. Like the way that he does it. And I know future films all follow these puns with deaths. But I think future films have better deaths than this one does. The only one that was somewhat inventive was Debs. To be honest. Because she turned into a bug. She turned into a roach. It was cool. The way that her arms fell off. The way that stuff... Sheila's the nerdy girl. Her death was just laughable. Rick's was horrible. Joey's, you know, at least she got to see Boob. I mean, beyond that, there's really no point in that. Kincaid kind of went down like a bitch because he was running away. And then when he's yelling, all of a sudden he gets stabbed. You know, and Kristen went down like a bitch too because she just got thrown in the fucking oven. That's it. You know, it, there are more deaths, but not as inventive as even the last film. I mean, you had puppet death. You had uh, the girl getting thrown to the TV with the best pun of all time. Uh, you, you, know, uh, you had the wizard dueling type of fight where it was kind of cheesy, but it was funny at the same time. The needles for the junkie. That was cool. Like The way that they did it and the way they set it up was really fucking cool. And there just isn't that in this film. It goes along really slow. I almost fell asleep twice while going through this film again, which makes me feel terrible. Uh, But it's just the pacing's not very good. And then when it does pick up at the end, it's over a little too quick. I mean, the last 20 minutes of the film are a majority of the stuff you have fighting Freddy, Deb's death, and, um, you know, uh, the jock guy almost dying. But then again, there are some really heartfelt moments. I really feel for Rick. It sucks that he died. I get why you want to kind of kill him off, but it sucks. I mean, I, I there was something and some type of connection emotionally to him because of how he felt towards Kristen. You don't get to see him very much together as boyfriend and girlfriend, but you know that the shit was bothering him. And the fact that he's not got a good home life, that his mom's died and his dad become a drunk pill pusher, You know, it's all affected him in some way, and the one shining moment in his life has died, and that's in Kristen. And he tried so hard to believe in what she was saying, even if he didn't quite understand it, he still wanted to be by her side. And that kind of sucks that he went out in the worst death in the entire fucking film. And that's really all I got to say about that. So... What would I say for this film? It's hard to really kind of rank this film. It's not my favorite uh, of the franchise. But, you know, it's worth watching it just to kind of get the story. And that last scene, if you really want to see, the main scenes I think to see is the uh, rebirth of Freddy Krueger, the death of Freddy Krueger at the end of this film, and then uh, just a couple of the scenes kind of peppered out through the movie. But there's not really anything that happens. And... Uh, the biggest thing that i uh, maybe i will leave that after for the rating so the the crap factor of this movie it's a four out of five it's just shitty and slow um it could be better uh better paced definitely the fun factor is a three out of five there's some really good freddy moments and the fact that he's in it quite a bit uh does help the film a lot and maybe that's where a lot of this was coming from uh the gore it's Uh, you know originally i was gonna say it's like a three out of five but it's more like a two out of five because there isn't anything super gory that happens deb's arms kind of breaking off there's not a lot of blood that happens uh nowadays this would be like a pg-13 movie versus an r uh, except for that there's tits in it so you can't really have a pg-13 with a pair of boobs like you could back in the 80s um but everybody else kind of just gets stabbed or thrown in the fucking fire or you know stabbed again uh That's it. It, it, There's nothing really major to it. And even when Deb does die, there's no blood. There's just the squeezing of the goo from inside the Roach Hotel uh, spitting out of the Roach Hotel. There's no blood or anything like that. Uh, And even the final fight kind of sucks. So overall, I'm giving this two human cockroaches out of five. It's not the best. It's got some good scenes in it. And my biggest complaint, which I said I'd come back to after it is that it actually ruins the ending of the last movie completely. You go through the whole movie of part three, rooting for these kids, and they survive, and they're the dream warriors. They're the fucking man. They were able to put Freddy down with the help of, you know, the psychiatrist guy, whatever he is. But they're there. They're supposed to be these big badasses that came in, and they can actually fight Freddy in their world, and then they all go down like fucking punks. Every one of them. They're killed so quickly. They don't want to deal with the fact that maybe Freddy's coming back and they should be wary. Maybe this chick actually knows something. Because everybody else, besides Kincaid and fucking Joey, automatically take Kristen for her word. And they know her. They just don't want to believe that Freddy could ever come back. And I get that. But at the same time, you got to just go off and kill them. Give Freddy what he wants. Now he's free to do whatever the fuck he needs to do. Like, at least Kristen could have survived like uh, Nancy from the the last film. You know, it was ending her storyline by killing her at the end of it. But she lasted to the end of the movie and was able to still put Freddy fucking down. Why couldn't Kristen have done something similar? Or are you worried that it's going to do the same thing? You're going to repeat the same stuff that you've repeated in previous movies. (sighs) So, there it is, guys. This is the end to Freddy month. And I thank you for listening to our podcast for this. We're going to do a couple of theme months uh, probably coming up uh, within the next couple of months. But for our next film, uh, this one I was very excited to see as a young kid because I loved watching the HBO series. So for our next film, we're getting a treat.
0: Universal Pictures is proud to present the motion picture directing debut of one of America's most talented and respected artists.
1: Hi. Cut, 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 cut! Oh, hello, kiddies. So glad you could join me. Your pal, the Crypt Keeper, has gone Hollywood in a big way. I'm directing my first feature film. Care for a little shriek preview? <laughs> for my big scream premiere, I wanted lots of suspense.
0: Uh-oh. Special
1: effects. <laughs> Sex, yeah. violence, the kind of thing you could really sink your teeth into. Frights, camera, action. It's about a chase through the ages, a race against time. Yeah. The war between good and evil. Come on, everybody. It's time to play final battle between man I'm sorry. And demon
2: I'm not gonna hurt
1: you. I lied. It stars Billy Zane from Dead Calm, William Sadler from Die Her Too, and Jada Pinkett from Menace to Society. Ooh, I love those titles. And you'll love Demon Knight. Damn! Ladies, if you think Demon Knight is too gross and yucky, Whoa! thank you.
2: <laughs> That's right. Our next film is going to be Demon Knight, uh, which was the Tales from the Crypt film, uh, the very first one. This isn't Bordello Blood that stars Dennis Miller. But it is the one that has Billy Zane in it. And it he was probably the reason why I like this movie so much. Because his character is pretty cool. Uh, and he does a pretty good job throughout. And I totally forgot until I watched this trailer again that Jada Pinkett Smith is in this film. Oh my god. I didn't even remember that she was even in this film. All I remember is the basic plot lines that Billy Zane was pretty fucking funny and pretty badass. And it kept a lot of what made A Tales from the Crypt uh a very fun show to watch but it's still not the best movie in the world uh so as always you can find the podcast uh on twitter where t underscore t underscore podcast uh you can also check out our facebook page facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast uh where we're i'm trying to like i always say add new things but i always add a clip uh, from the film that I think everybody should see or enjoy. Um, but I try not to spoil anything if you're still trying to watch the film. And usually I release them before the podcast is done. Uh, so I definitely go there and check out that clip uh, for uh, Freddy's Rebirth. And the dog piss and fire. Because it's ridiculous and it's funny. Um, and it's an... It, you know, the the other thing I forgot to mention was the fact that Jason the dog brings back freddie in this one and freddie brings back jason and jason versus freddie or freddie versus jason i should say um you can also email the podcast at terrible terror podcast at gmail.com i have a couple suggestions that are in the queue uh that were brought up by listener scott crawford and i want to shout him out on this episode because he's been a uh listener from almost day one uh and i really appreciate that you know he's been there and he's made some great suggestions for films and he's had some good insight on the films too uh which i really appreciate so i you know i just want to give him some special recognition out there uh and uh he's got actually two films that he presented to me that we're going to look at uh but they're going to be spaced out so i don't do them both back to back uh one is actually going to be done after this tales from the crypt film Uh, which I will let you know on the next podcast which one I have chosen. Uh, Also, every other week I do another podcast. It's more of like a pop culture, news, sports, a little bit of everything, chatting with my buddy uh, Patrick. It's called it Be Like That, and you can check that out uh, on Spreaker, iTunes, uh, Facebook, well, yeah, you can check out the Facebook page for that as well if you wanted to, Uh, Stitcher, Blueberry, and now Google Play. Uh, they have finally released Google Play uh, for podcasts, and if you have an Android device, you can. You might even be listening to this one on Google Play. Uh, you know, so you can check us out there. Uh, definitely, if you listen to us on iTunes, uh, I would really appreciate if you could rate and review us. It helps the podcast get seen better, uh, and uh, you know, I, it helps me. It helps me reach more people. Uh, so again. Uh, I also want to thank uh, uh, the I'm Older PC podcast, and that is, uh, of course, in my notes, I seem to have forgotten what the uh, the Twitter handle was for that. It's at I'm Older PC. Uh, and, uh, I want to thank him for doing, or give me the idea first of doing an Emmer on Elm Street movie, which turned out to be a, uh, you know, a two episode, uh, little month, uh, for the, such a, uh, iconic horror icon. Um, well, that's it for this week. So, uh, again, uh, check out Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight i know that you can find it on amazon instant you can definitely rent it from itunes it may be available on youtube uh as well as a rental or if you're lucky there might be a version out there that you can watch uh and you can also uh i believe i saw it on netflix but it might only be bordello of blood now netflix instant uh but definitely check it out and see if it's available there uh and then if you have anything that you'd like uh you know uh, to say about it beforehand just reach out to me through the facebook page or through twitter now i've got another special guest here because there was another song that was made specifically for this movie and i can't believe these three guys are sitting right over here across from me and guys please can you do the freddy rap for me i've been waiting for it i heard it at the end of this film i couldn't believe it how about it fat boys can you do it
0: yeah let's just get this this gig over with a popular guy. If you don't know yet, you're going to find out why. Man, fuck, plays with Elm Street late one night. I'm looking like I go to town, no one in sight. With a hat like a vagabond. Standing like a flash shot. With the Big Time. Frank Kruger. Game Crasher. Trying to find a girl to fit his face. Not once, not twice, but three times fancy. All the people sleeping, snoozing and dreaming. Frank Kruger's on the floor of Elston, Street Steven. Huh, give me to I'm a of Because the